Welcome to Cougar Talk. The official, unofficial voice of SAU Cougar Athletics. And Spring Arbor is the 2019 NAIA Division II National Champion. And more. Get ready to get up to date on the latest in Cougar athletics. Talk to Cougar legends. And hear sports news from around the country. Let's get started. Here's your host, Eric Rose. Welcome back to Cougar Talk, episode 16, The Coach, an exclusive with Dean Lockwood. Coach Lockwood grew up and played basketball in Bay City, Michigan, and went to Bay City All Saints High School. In 1978, Coach Lockwood came to Spring Arbor. It was a three-year starter as point guard on the basketball team under Hall of Fame coach Bill Bockowitz. Along with being a team captain for two seasons, in his four years with the Cougars, he racked up over 1,203 points, which sits him at number 32 in the SAU basketball record books in the 1,000 points club. Dean earned a bachelor's degree in secondary education from Spring Arbor, majoring in English in secondary education. He earned a master's degree in counseling and professional and student development from Central Michigan University. Let me take a breath here. Now, here is Coach Lockwood's impressive resume. While pursuing his master's degree in graduate studies, he was a graduate assistant for the men's team at Central Michigan University. He had a stint with the men's uh, basketball team as an assistant for the U.S. Military Academy at West Point, where one season he led Army to their best record uh, in 1978. Coach Lockwood then served at the University of Tennessee with the men's basketball team under head coach Don DeVoe and later Wade Houston. During his tenure as an assistant, the volunteer team went 77 and 75, posting three consecutive winning seasons, made a pair of the NIT trips and an NCAA tournament bid in 1989 after an 18 and 9 regular season. Coach returned back to the Mitten State and was a head coach for NCAA Division II Northwood University and Saginaw Valley State University, and also earned the GLIAC Coach of the Year honors in 1997. Coach is an impressive leader, he's a developer of players, and so Someone saw that in the South. In 2004, he headed to Knoxville, Tennessee, where he was an assistant coach, the University of Tennessee Lady Volunteers basketball program under the direction of Hall of Fame coach Pat Summit, who was considered and is considered the winningest college basketball coach in the country with 1,098 wins. And Coach Lockwood's 15 seasons with the Lady Vols, he was part of two national championships in 2007 in 2008, as well as three Final Four appearances. Overall, the Lady Vols won five SEC regular season titles and seven SEC tournament crowns. Five of Lockwood's pupils at Tennessee have developed into first-round picks in the WNBA draft, including two-time WNBA Finals MVP and All-Star MVP Candace Parker. Serving as the post-position coach at Tennessee, Lockwood had 13 front-court players drafted in his 15-year tenure. Overall, the Lady Volunteers had 26 players drafted during his stay in Knoxville. Well, he decided to come back to the Mitten State in in 2019, Coach Lockwood journeyed back where he became the associate head coach for the Michigan State University women's basketball team under the leadership of head coach Susie Merchant. Finally, Coach Lockwood was inducted into two Hall of Fames, the Bay County Sports Hall of Fame, and in 2010, the Spring Arbor University Athletic Hall of Fame. Again, Coach is considered a person of high character and a keen ability to mold not only just players, but people. Coach Lockwood, welcome to Cougar Talk, my friend. 
Thank you. I thought you were going to run out of gas there for a minute, man. That was that, that was a long intro. I don't know who that guy is you were describing, but thank you. Very nice to be here, Eric. Very Pleasure good, and an honor. Very good to have you. Thanks so much for taking your time out of your very busy schedule. But coach, as we jump in, we know that we all start somewhere. And uh, as we move in and develop, and for many students, it's an honor and a privilege to put on another jersey after high school. And so you had that privilege. So would you unpack the story? of how you came from Bay City and were recruited to play at Spring Arbor to play for the Cougars. Sure, absolutely. It's it's uh, it's it's kind of a, you know, everybody has their unique story of, of their own journey. And, and uh, you know, for those of us who play in the small college ranks, a lot of time that gets even more, you know, um, it, it gets more, uh, the story has more turns and twists, so to speak, because, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of us who did play at that level, you know, you're not – when you're a division one athlete or a BCS level, you're, you're in, there's a recruiting flurry around you. And right. in my particular case, I had talked to some small colleges, very similar to spring Arbor, but it wasn't, you wouldn't describe what was happening to me as a recruiting flurry. It was, uh, <laughs> I played on very good high school teams, um, played, uh, on, on, uh, teams that a couple years before I was on the varsity that had won back-to-back state championships at Bay City All Saints, a legendary coach, Russell Lefty Franz. Uh, one of our players was a high school All-American, uh, Jeff Shapansky. He ended up signing at West Virginia and then later transferred to Walsh, where he played for Coach Bob Huggins. Mm. So oh, yeah. there were two or three of us on that team that were very, very just, we were very passionate about the game, wanted to play beyond high school. And so again, at that point, I was talking to some small colleges, some schools in the area, some schools out of state but really had nothing going. And back then, Eric, you played outside. The playground basketball, schoolyard basketball is very big in my era. Now I can't remember the last outdoor. I drive by outdoor courts all the time. I can't remember the last time I saw a group of players outside. But, you know, coming up in the 70s when I did, that was very big. And there were two or three parks always that if you were anybody who was anybody in a, as a basketball player, you kind of proved yourself at one of these places. The place in Bay City was St. Stan. St. Stan Schoolyard was the place. You know, I, I wish I could go back, show young people. I wish I had pictures from that time. You'd go on a summer's evening and you might have to wait two or three games to get in. On a Saturday or Sunday, if you lost, you might wait four or five games to get back on the court. It was just one of those places, jam-packed, you know, Good players for the most part. Uh, just playground basketball is wonderful. Anyway, I was I was a regular at St. Stan's and, and any other park where there was a game at that time. And a policeman who had played at Spring Arbor by the name of Dick Clark, not American Bandstand Dick Clark, for those of you old enough to know who that is, but a guy named Dick Clark, he had played one year at Spring Arbor, like a lot of people, the things that happened, wasn't ready for the the college environment and academically, so he left, went to to pursue work, became a police officer, Hmm. and he would play with us at the park when he wasn't on his shift, he would play with us. He was a, a police officer in Essex, in Essexville, which is kind of a small town right next to Bay City. But he would drive over to Bay City to get in these games because, again, they were great games. And so Dick would would play with us and, you know, would be involved in games. And we got to be friends. Several of us got to be friends with him. And one day he asked, there was another guy that was at a local high school, is a good player. He asked both of us, he said, what are you guys' plans for the future? And both of us kind of looked at each other, looked at him and said, oh, we really don't know. We got this, got that. He said, hey, I've got a place I'd like to maybe show you guys. And, you know, maybe I can arrange something where we could all, you know, 
I take you on a visit down there. And the coach is a great guy, and it's a really it's a great school. I was there, but it just wasn't ready at that time to do that. So again, long story short, one day in March, he packed us in the car. He called Coach Bachwitz up, said, "Hey, I got these two guys from Bay City. Want to, you know, come in and we'll play." And at that time. How recruiting was done, we, we laugh about this now. And even, you know, at that level, I'm sure Ryan's gotten much more sophisticated in this <laughs> day and age. But basically, you showed up, you got in a pickup game with, you know, some of the players oh. and the coaches would watch and they would decide whether they liked you or not. So dur- <laughs> during that pickup game, you know, I guess I did uh, okay enough that coach, and you know, now I understand some coach Bachwitz, coach Bachwitz is not the most demonstrative guy. Certainly back in that era was not the most demonstrative guy. I kid him all the time. I said, you know, we, we have recruiting visits and we'll feed kids steak and we'll, we'll go, you know, they just <laughs> these lavish desserts. I think I had a hot dog, a bag of chips and one of those dark brown glasses of fruit punch and I remember coach Bach would say you really like that punch you kind of hit that pretty hard I said yeah he said would you like some more I said oh that'd be great coach he said well go up there help yourself there's the the machines up there so we had we had a lot of fun on that recruiting visit but during that time you know what would happen is you would play um, take a short tour of campus and then go meet with coach up in his office and essentially he would tell you hey here's what I think whatever so There was enough of an opportunity that, you know, he, there enough of a, uh, the visit went well enough that he offered me somewhat of an opportunity to say, Hey, like to have you, here's, you know, the, what I can do. And I, I will tell you this from the minute I got on that campus and I, I was certainly excited to, to just be on a college visit per se, mm. but there was something about spring Arbor. Now, Eric, let me pause for a minute. Yeah. I will tell you this. That was in March. If you'd asked me in January or February what Spring Arbor was, where it was, who it was, I couldn't have told you. You'd have <laughs> gave me a thousand bucks for every right answer about Spring Arbor. Right. Couldn't have told you. You'd have kept all your money. Had no <laughs> idea of what Spring Arbor was. But driving up there with Dick, going on campus, just we kind of walked around for a few minutes before then and went down to the field house, mm-hmm. fell in love with the field house, beautiful place. And just walking around campus, meeting people, seeing how genuine they were and how, and again, um, I, I, you know, I'm a people person and, you know, I'm from a place, Bay City's a, a great town, but Bay City has its, you know, it's, it was a little bit rougher around the edges mm-hmm. in some ways. And people at Spring Arbor were so genuine and so authentic. And I was struck by that. And then meeting the people, meeting the admissions folks and meeting coach Bachwitz. And I can't remember if I met any other faculty or staff at that time, but some of the mm-hmm. players, I was just taken a how genuine and authentic it was. And it felt like home. I've told coach and Karen since then spring Arbor has felt like home for me from day one. So anyway, through that process, that's how I got to spring Arbor. And, um, you know, that, that, that just opened a door for me that wouldn't have been open. And I, I still keep in touch with Dick Clark every so often. And I I've never, I, I hopefully I've thanked him enough because <laughs> without his assistance, without him opening that door, I would have never gone to spring Arbor. I'd have been at some other school doing something else. So that was a blessing for me. It was a big blessing how that all turned out. That's great, Coach. And I'm glad you got plenty of juice. (laughs) I've been accused of that. I've been accused of that. (laughs) And so when we think about it, as that story continues, I mean, you played for the Cougars in in those years. So when you think back of of teammates or games and significant things on the court, what what comes to your mind, Coach? Oh, gosh, so much. Um, (laughs) 
you know, it, it, it was, I would hope, I would say, I would, I would give you a summary first. I would hope that every young person who plays basketball at Spring Arbor, every young lady, every young man mm. could feel, would feel about their experience the way that I do. It was one of the greatest blessings in my life. Um, I learned so much, um, like all sport, basketball in particular, in my case, that's been my journey. It taught me so much about life, Eric. It taught me how to deal with adversity, how to resolve conflict, how to prepare, how to sacrifice, how to be part of a team, mm. how, how to have humility, but also self-confidence, um, how to be coachable, all those things. I, I, the list could go on and on. It's all about relationships for me. Hmm. always has been always will be i the so if you ask me to go to your question specifically and say what stands out when you say that you know my experience of playing at spring arbor number one it's the relationships mm -hmm. coach bockwitz who has been like a uh you know almost like a second father to me uh, mm -hmm. uh been part of my family he and karen i consider him family. my teammates just played with some terrific teammates i have to start with reno taylor an all-american nai all-american he was six three if reno taylor would have been six five he'd have been in the big ten i mean he wow. was as good a player in that era as i've seen tough great hands could rebound could score around the basket had a knack for scoring and getting fouled unlike a lot of players I've seen over the years. Uh, mm -hmm. So I spent four years with Reno and we went through some tough times. It, it was not always easy. We went through some, some rocky times uh, with the program in terms of wins and losses, mm -hmm. uh, went through some transitions with players that are coming and going and whatnot. It culminated in a senior year. However, that was nothing short of magical. We were a good team through the midway part of the year. Good team. Uh, I was just talking to Coach Bockwitz about this a week or so ago. We were a good team up until about midway. We we beaten some good teams, lost some teams, you know, a few games over 500, but nothing that would just make anybody quake in their boots. It all clicked for us in the second half of the season. I think we went on a string. We won 14 out of our last 17 games, something like that. We ended up playing for the national championship in the NCCAA, the mm. National Christian College Athletic Association, down in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And I will tell you this, Coach and I just talked about this, Eric. Mm -hmm. One of our, both of our most vivid memories, and as a coach now, I would, can appreciate this more where he's coming from with it. But I remember this as a player. You know, it's so hard to take off that jersey for the last time. Mm. It is so hard to do that. And especially if you have a love, you're invested, and you have a love for the program, for the people, which I did, mm -hmm. and all of us did. And I remember we lost that game to Tennessee Temple University. They oh, had five okay. Division One transfers. These guys could go, man. They could really go. Good players, good team. Mm -hmm. But we lost that last game. We stayed. I'll never forget. We stayed in a Ramada Inn in Chattanooga. So you know we weren't we weren't Marriott guys back then. I don't know if Ryan's <laughs> doing these. Those guys might be a little softer. We were we were Ramadas. They were these were not full service hotels. All right, there you these go. Doors led to the outside. These were motor courts. <laughs> okay, Ryan, if you're listening, they were motor courts, buddy. With a Waffle House in view. There you go. There you go. But uh, no, honestly, we we were we were in a hallway. So the, all, not all the doors led to the parking lot, but we were in a hallway and it was later that night. And the whole team was seated on both sides of the wall. There's cinder block walls like they were in uh, those old hotels, but we all had our backs to the wall, kind of, you know, hands around our knees or sprawled out on the floor. And we were just talking about the year and what we've just had just gone through and what we'd experienced. And coach, 
heard us and kind of, you know, opened his door, looked down the hallway and you could, now he tells me back then, I, I don't have this from memory, but he said to me, that was a special moment. Just looking down that hall and seeing, he goes, the fact that we paid for the first national championship in a school's history, I was great. But he said, what really did it for me was to see the connection between you guys and what that meant to you all. So, Eric, to go to your question, I remember so many things. I remember the, the rivalries. And the, back then, NAI District 23. Now, NAI basketball, back then, now, you got to remember, guys like um, John Drew, ML Carr, mm. Lloyd B. Free, all these guys, NBA players, right? right. Charlie Chris. Uh, Dennis Rodman later on, Scotty Pitt. Those were NAIA play. NAIA basketball was it was like the, it included some of what now is the top tier in NCAA Division II. There mm. were some players. I remember we played Wright State. Wright State was a number one or number wow. two ranked Division II team in the country. And I mean, you know, coach always had us playing. We went to Cal California. We played uh, Chapman University mm. and Cal State Fullerton. And um, I'll never forget the guard, Leon Wood, who was on the 1976 uh, Olympic team. Okay. And it's like, holy cow, what am I doing? This You talk about an SAT, <laughs> who doesn't belong here? Take a look at these two guys. Which one doesn't belong? Right. So, but no, those experiences of just the games, the rivalries, all of that, wonderful. But Eric, far and above that, it was the relationships. It was mm. the connection to people. It was what you built during that four years and staying connected all these years since. I still stay in touch with my teammates. I, I can tell you that those that team, you know, I mentioned Reno. Monty Clary was my backcourt mate. I was a point guard. Monty was a two guard. Joel Lipron was, was mm. a three player. We still stay in touch. Joel's done so much for Spring Arbor and the, can so connect to the men te men's team now. John mm. Baldry was our center. We had a great group of, of freshmen. Todd Edmonds, uh, uh, just a tremendous player who's who's been deceased now a couple years so mm. i can just go on and on the relationships are really what has lasted and stood the test of time the memories are wonderful i thank god for them all the time but i really remember the relationships and the connections to people that's great coach again those things are you never lose those things and Absolutely. i love when it, as they've redone the the field house and i mentioned this when i talked to the 2019 national championship team it's something that Coach Ryan says, but is now in the field house that winning is goal, but never the purpose. Winning is yes. goal, but never the purpose. And so it's about family and relationships. And so, Coach, as you moved into the coaching ranks and you had that experience at Spring Arbor with the brotherhood and developing and underneath just an amazing mentor in, in Bill Bakowitz, when did you start to get the fire in your heart to say, you know, I think coaching's for me? Yeah. Um, when did that begin? Talk a little bit about that. Sure. I'd be glad to. I can remember exactly. That had always been a thought, but it mm -hmm. hadn't been a, a definitive commitment in my mind. But even in high school, I kind of thought, you know what? And, and I didn't know. I thought maybe I'd want to be a high school coach or mm -hmm. do this. But I think so many of us who coach Eric we've been impacted by coaches. We've been positively yeah. impacted by coaches. Certainly that was the case for me um, with Coach Bachwitz. I think it starts yeah. with him in terms of um, somebody that I respected, mm -hmm. somebody that I admired, uh, somebody that I, I looked at his life, like we all do, right? When, when we make decisions like that, we, we look at somebody, we look at their life, we look at how they interact and who they are. And we say, Hey, do I like that person? Do I respect that person? Yeah. Would I like my life 
to reflect some of those calls. And and the answer dog checked all the boxes. So that was a, that was a starting point. So the exact time I can tell you it was my sophomore year. Probably there was some point during the season, maybe just afterwards, where I said to myself, "This is for me. Yeah, this is for me." Now I will tell you this: at the end of my freshman, I went to a place that's no longer uh, as a basketball camp, but back in its day, it was kind of like the watered down version of what five-star basketball camp was nationally. It was that version of that in Michigan. It was called Wolverine fundamental basketball camp Mm. way back when Bill Russell spoke at it back in the late sixties and they had an advanced session and I was a camper there for two summers. And then I worked as a counselor there through every college season. So after my freshman year at spring Arbor, sophomore, junior, senior, I was also tremendously influenced there by a, by a man named Bill Allenbrook, a very successful high school hall of fame coach who was the instructor, their lead instructor. So between coach Bachwitz and coach Allenbrook, those two gentlemen impacted me in a big way. Mm. They were both men of that very knowledgeable, very humble, but very, very knowledgeable about basketball, great teachers of basketball, but more so they were great teachers of life. Mm. And because of their impact on me and my love combine that Eric with my incredible love for this game i have always had a love for basketball that i can't explain Mm. it just it courses through my veins i mean i hear sneakers squeak on a floor i hear a ball going through (laughs) a net or a ball ball and it just it's it's like a symphony symphony to me it's 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 beautiful it's it's mozart it's beethoven it's all of it (laughs) so combine my love for the game with the impact of these two men Mm. and i just said to myself I, I want to make this a, a life path. I don't want this to be simply a pastime. I'm in. I'm all in. And one thing about me, and, and I don't know, again, where I got the good Lord, my parents, wh- whatever. Once I lock into something, it's mm. I'm locked in. And I'll die trying. I'll, 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 <laughs> if I don't plant the flag on the hill, I'll die trying. Yeah. And so at that point, I basically said, I, I want to be a coach. And Mm -hmm. as more time went on, I really wanted to pursue the college route because the college route to me, it's that in-between ground where a young person leaves their family, but they're still not fully an adult yet. They're Mm -hmm. they're a young person. They're a young adult, but they're not fully, as we call it now, not fully grown. They like to, we like to think we are at that age, but we've still got plenty to learn. And so I just thought, what a great way to impact people and still have you know building teams and it's it's a competitive environment but through basketball as a vehicle you can teach you can teach the game and you can teach competing you can teach preparation all those things but you can teach life it's a vehicle to teach life and so that's what really hooked me is the opportunity to do something that i loved and combine that with a chance to make a positive impact. So mm. it was my sophomore year, Eric, where I just I decided to, to be a coach. And I committed at that point. I did a lot of research. I, back then, we didn't have the internet, right? Or we couldn't pick <laughs> up our phones, couldn't pick up these things. And just so I, yeah. I read and just devoured everything I could about coaches and coaching. And I knew, you know, you're going to live on poverty. I, I basically said, I'm going to live on poverty level for probably the first three to five years of my life. Mm. But that's that's okay. That's what I'm, I am going to do it. And and that's just my mindset. You couldn't have talked me. You could have gotten the most persuasive people in America and they wouldn't have, couldn't have talked me out of it. Yeah. So at that point I was all in and I, it started an amazing journey for me. That's cool. Coach. And again, when you have a mix of passion and ambition, 
I mean, those those are a great mix and ingredient. And as we've seen your your coaching throughout the years, uh, you have a passion and ambition to see players develop and not to uh, make the same mistakes twice. And you're passionate about that in, in player development in, in a world today where, I mean, there is player development, but uh, I, I love how you gleaned so much from Coach Bakowitz and how the way mm. he taught leadership, he taught family yep. And uh, really, that that's encompassed some of way in the ways that you coach, coach. And um, okay. so we think about you your did. time. You you go to Central, and then you go you know to West Point, and you have some opportunities in Division Two back here. And then, at some point in time, you move to this place called Knoxville, where there's this <laughs> team called the Lady Volunteers. It's had a couple of years of a winning experience with obviously one of the best coaches in college basketball. How did that job? come to fruition how did you get to Knoxville talk a little bit about that certainly well to kind of just go back for a moment uh, part of your introduction I spent five years as a men's assistant coach at the University of Tennessee it was during that time that my path initially crossed with coach summit Mm. Eric I'll tell you this I've told her this I've told other people this I've told other media people this on interviews and whatnot Mm -hmm. I came to Tennessee from West Point in 1986. So Coach Summit had yet to win her first national championship. I used to tease her that she, she her first national championship victory was 1986-87, which was my first year on the men's staff. Uh-huh. And I, I'd tease her years later and over the years, I'd say, Pat, you never won one until I got to Tennessee. Now, <laughs> I, I wasn't on your staff, mind you. I didn't have any influence or anything to do with you. But just so you know, I might be a good luck charm. You know? It was your presence, but, Coach. It was your presence. Yes, yes. <laughs> but one thing I will tell you about Pat, and she she's an amazing, and this, we could do a whole nother show on Pat, so I don't want to go too much into this, but I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this. Pat was somebody who loved to connect with people, and she gleaned information or anything she could from anyone around her. It didn't matter. If she felt that the person who cleaned up at that time, we played in Stokely Field, Stokely Fieldhouse. <laughs> if we were in Stokely and the person cleaning up, she felt could help the program, she'd talk to him. If she felt that, you know, somebody that was there's a local fireman that, you know, how he, you know, ran the firehouse, she would talk to him. Pat was always looking for ways to get better and improve. We struck up a friendship because I tended back then, I was, you know, I was probably not a lot different than nowadays where I'd, I'd be in the office 12, 14, 15 hours a day. And I did a lot of the workouts with our players and she'd come through, stroll through and see, um, watch those sometimes. Um, she was great friends with the coach. I, I first worked there with coach Don DeVoe. She was a big defense and rebounding person. Coach DeVoe was huge in the defense and rebounding. So there was a philosophical uh, similarity there. We just struck up a friendship. I can remember Pat strolling into my office a few times, going to right to the bookshelves, kind of like what you see behind me. And back then, we <laughs> yeah. were CD, VHS tapes and DVDs and things. And, and well, it wasn't DVD. It was all VHS tapes. And she pulled off one time Dick Bennett's blocker move. She said, what is this? I said, it's, it's really an interest. It's like a motion offense. Pat with, you know, told him about Dick Bennett. She said, hey, can I, can I borrow that? I'm sure. You know, I'm going to tell Pat Summit no. So, <laughs> you know, she, she, that was just her. So we struck up a friendship. So I'm there five years. I leave to go become the head coach at Northwood University. We still stayed in touch. 
not a lot, but maybe two, three times a year, Eric, we would mm-hmm. exchange a note, maybe a phone call. I saw her in a clinic uh, that she came down a couple of times, Garth Pleasant at Rochester College, okay. yeah. ran clinics with, brought in Coach Summit. Uh, Bob Taylor was also involved with that. They brought Coach Summit into for a couple of clinics. So I, you know, visited during that time. And we just kind of stayed in touch. Well, now fast forward, I've been at Saginaw Valley six years and they bring in a new VP and a lot of change. I think I had five ADs in six years. There was wow. really kind of a crazy environment during that time. Um, so I they, they don't renew my contract. So I'm kind of looking. And at the time I was in Chicago, Illinois, I will never forget this. A good friend of mine that I work camps with, Mitch Kupchak, who was a general manager of the Lakers at the time, he had arranged an interview with me for one of a uh, guy who used to play at North Carolina that he was now coaching a, which is now the G league back then mm-hmm. it was, it wasn't even the D league. It was, um, um, I'm trying to think of the name of the league before it was the D league. I'm, I'm drawing a blank here, mm-hmm. but it was the Eastern league at one point. And uh, anyway, I was interviewing for a job for which was equivalent to assistant with the G league. And, I just wasn't, I was at the NBA pre-draft camp is where that was. So it was held at Moody Bible Institute. Okay. And I remember just this lost feeling kind of wondering, man, I just don't know what's next. And mm-hmm. I don't, I, I, you know, the, the guy I interviewed, great guy and everything, but I just didn't know if it was going to come through and I wasn't feeling it. I'm going to my car and I get a phone call and it's coach summit. And she knows my situation knows. That, and she said, Dean, I've been kind of meaning to ask you, I meant to ask you this two or three times over the years, but I didn't think the timing was right. How would you feel about coaching women's basketball? And now again, she got to remember, you're talking to an unemployed guy at the time, you know, and I said, (laughs) well, Pat, I'm definitely open to anything. I said, it would depend on the situation, who it was, where, right person, right fit, right place. I said, Pat, I'd be very receptive. Hmm. And she paused for a minute. She said, well, how about here? And Hmm. I almost dropped the phone. And... (laughs) unbeknownst to me. And I guess I did have a little inkling of this, this one of the assistants that she had the male, she always liked to have a male assistant since the mid nineties. And he had left to take a high school athletic director's job in his hometown area of Nashville. He just had a, his first child. And so the, the college thing was a little bit tough at that time, all the traveling. So the job opened up, she called and reached out. So next thing I know I'm on a flight week or two later and she wanted me to work the elite camp so I could meet the players meet the staff and just meet everybody but uh we went to her home for kind of like the the real interview piece and she it was I, I was just so taken with the role that she wanted and so taken mm. with her so Eric I can tell you it took me all of about two seconds to say yes I <laughs> I don't think she actually got the offer out of her mouth before I was I said yes and that's what brought me to to, to Tennessee with the Lady Balls in 2004. That's a, what a, what a cool story coach and what an opportunity and so when we think about this opportunity every opportunity we glean from every opportunity that God has put forth is is an example that we need to do the best with what ap- over opportunity that was given to us. And so so I have to ask you this, you know, not when it comes to Xs and Os, what was it like coaching alongside of Pat Summit and what are the things that she taught you about life mm. that are going to be with you for the rest of your life? Oh, goodness. Once again, that question could spawn its own show. 
<laughs> I literally could do a show on that and, and still run out and not have enough time. There'd be more material than time. We got plenty of time, oh, coach. Oh, no. Well, I, I will tell you, it, I'm going to try to really get to the to the real core of, of Pat, who she was. First of all, as great of a coach as she was, she was an even better person. Mm. And sometimes that can be overstated or overset. I trust me, it's not. Mm. I'm telling you the 100 percent truth here. Yeah. Pat was a better human being than she was a coach. And she's the, one of the greatest coaches in my estimation of all time. She, yeah. she was an incredible human being. So you have this person of high character who's also wildly successful. And Eric, number one, how she treated people. Mm. She treated everyone with great respect. Mm -hmm. She would, I, I remember on two occasions, she got after a support staff member uh, and a player for even a slight hint of rudeness or, and they weren't intentional. There was just, it was kind right. of short and answering different things, but it was to uh, a, one time it was to a, a server at a restaurant. And another time it was to a flight attendant on a private charter flight. Mm -hmm. And she wasn't ugly, but she just walked over and very politely, but firmly said, we don't talk to people like that. We're, we're, we're going to talk to these folks mm. like they're our family because they are. And yeah. Pat was just so genuinely caring of a person. Mm. She, she treated everyone with great respect. She treated everyone with dignity. Uh, it didn't care. Didn't, didn't matter who you were, what you did. That didn't matter to Pat <laughs> did not matter. And so that's number one. Um, I think, Pat was somebody that was all about, she had such inner toughness, such mental tough. I mean, mm. she was physically tough, certainly, but <laughs> her mental toughness, Eric, her strength, her mental resolve was so impressive. You know, she had a saying, you probably, if you've read anything about, she used to say left foot, right foot, breathe. Whenever you're going through a rough patch, left foot, right foot, breathe, essentially keep going, keep walking, breathe. You're going to get through it. Um, she had a thing called the definite dozen, which was the core of her coaching philosophy, but the program that she ran and also her life philosophy. Hmm. And she, of the definite dozen, she had so many things that resonated with me to this day, you know, make hard work, your passion. Don't just work hard, work smart, learn to be a great communicator. Hmm. Change is a must. You know, one of the things I learned from Pat is that you have to change. You have to keep growing. And another thing that she used to say to our staff all the time, Eric, you never arrive in this game. There's mm. never a point where here's again, a person that the list of her achievements and accomplishments, maybe you could Tara Vanderveer now has since surpassed her win total. Gino or I'm a pro, will soon. He's, he's got more national championships, but I would yeah, tell you, if can't. you take the whole body of work, what she's done, there's nobody that would be what would, would surpass her in her achievements. Yeah. And yet she had this such grace and humility to her. And <laughs> excuse me, she felt that you never arrive in this game. You're always learning. And if you're not learning, you're dying. Mm -hmm. And so, yep. you know, those are the things that I'll carry with me. Working with Pat, my 15 years at Tennessee, I tell people this all the time, but especially the, the eight with her would qualify. For those people old enough to get this analogy, it was Camelot. Yeah. It was Camelot. If you've ever seen the movie or, or seen the play Camelot, it's a magical kingdom that exists for a very short time. Mm. And you better enjoy, you better every day 
bask in it, work in it, love it, be thankful for it, appreciate it because it won't be there forever. Mm. And my time with Pat was Camelot. She taught me so much that still resonates to this day that I still carry with me to this day and for which I'll be forever thankful. Coach, thanks for sharing that. And, and as we reflect again on, on Coach Summit, again, who, who passed away in 2016 in June and uh, lost her battle to, to Alzheimer's. I, I know that you were, you were during the part as, as she made uh, that public and uh, worked through all of that. And so I have to ask you this question again about Pat, and we'll move on after this. But Certainly. was Dean Lockwood a better coach from the time that he got to Knoxville with the Lady Vols? to the time, uh, you know, that, that you left and, and what did that look like? How mm. were you a better coach and were you a better coach? Oh yeah. Well, you couldn't help but be around Pat and not be a better coach. <laughs> you, right. you, you just, you, seriously, I, you'd have to be, you'd have to be locked in a, in a padded room and with no audio, no video. I mean, you, if you were, you could be around, Pat. I learned something every day, Eric, if you, if you were around Pat for 10 minutes, you learned something. If mm. you were around her for an hour, you learned a lot. If you were around her for a year, it was, it was phenomenal. Um, there's no question. I think normally too, I think most coaches would tell you as we, as we move down the path in this profession, as mm-hmm. we evolve and as we learn more, you, you become better. I'm, I'm so much better of a coach now than I was years ago, simply from mm. virtue of, of experience and right. time in the saddle. Good point. But being around Pat, because here again, something to specifically to her that made one of the things that made her, one of the many things that made her special she pursued excellence, Eric, mm-hmm. with such passion yeah. every day. I mean, she brought it every single day. Mm-hmm. I will tell you as a head coach, I was a head coach for 12 years. I can look back and if I am a gut level honest with myself, I would tell you and I would tell somebody, you know, there were probably days where I maybe took my foot off the gas in an area or two, or maybe I wasn't, you know, eh, you know, I was really demanding and this and this, but then I might be, as the season went on, maybe I, I let up in this area, mm-hmm. uh, either knowingly or unknowingly. Right. Pat was the best at not, she was from day one till the day the season ended. She was on it. I mean, she was just on it. And I think I being around that, that made me better. Mm. That made me better. Being around her, observing that, feeling that, seeing that operate in our program, right? It, it was it made me better. And then here, Pat was another. Here's another thing. Going back to your other question, but this ties mm-hmm. into this one too. Surround yourself with great people. Mm, Surround right. yourself with great people. Well, I not only learned from Pat. I learned from. I worked with terrific assistant coaches during that time. I worked mm-hmm. with great players who absolutely taught me so much. So yeah, Eric, I would have to be absolutely out of my mind to have not have improved during those fifteen years. Yeah. I got I got a lot better as a coach. And again, it, Pat opened that door, and it's another reason to which I, I owe her a debt that I'll never be able to repay. Well, coach, it's again, it's good to be able to reminisce about how people impacted you. And really, when you think about coach's staff, coach summit staff, like you talked about, she wanted people that be able to develop players and not only players, but people. And I remember thinking about a coach that, that I connected with, you know, you really know the impact that you have, not on the wins and losses, but how many people are going to be at your funeral? No question. No question. No. Well, you know, there's this little saying that a good coach can change your game. A great coach can change your life. 
Yeah. And, and that's, that, that's Pat, Pat was a difference maker. And I will tell you this the last thing, you know, about mm-hmm. her, there was no more competitive person in the world than Pat Summit. Mm-hmm. I, I can promise you that <laughs> Pat was, you, you don't get to where she got without a high degree of, of competitive drive. Mm-hmm. She had, I mean, she had it, man. But I will tell you this, that's not, that wasn't, the thing that really fueled her 38 years as a head coach at Tennessee, Hmm. what fueled her, what drove her was the opportunity to impact young women, to help Hmm. them develop leadership capabilities, to help them develop character. She wanted to turn young women into fully responsible leaders in their respective communities. She wanted them to be self-sufficient. She wanted them to have a voice to Hmm. be people of impact. That's what drove Pat Summit. So the championships, the competitive drive that she had, absolutely. It was through that process that she taught those lessons. But the thing that kept her in coaching for 38 years was the opportunity to impact young women to be Mm. leaders of tomorrow and to be women of character. And so I, I will tell you that being a part of that was nothing short of magical for me. Thanks again for sharing that coach. And again, the continuous impact that coach summit has on all of her players. It didn't matter if they made it to the WNBA or not. She was happy, but she was just as excited about, uh, you know, many of the ladies that have uh, done great in their careers or as, as mothers and uh, all yes. those opportunities that they have. I'm sure she yes. was just as happy yes. as, as those all Americans. And, uh, and you're you know, exactly right. When they came back, Eric, they all got treated the same. Didn't right. matter if it was Candace Parker or a walk-on or a manager, they yep. got hugs. They got invitations to, to, you know, come, come to her place to stay or for dinner. She treated them all. She loved them all. And that's mm. part of her part, part, part of her, um, uh, uh, what do I want to say it is just part of her, her magic as a coach. Yeah. That's, that's part of what made her great. And just the, the authentic character that she, she had that uh, permeates to you and other people that she had a connection. Thanks so much, Coach. I thought it was so important for us to really just uh, embrace that experience that you had with such an incredible person. And so, Coach, then you then you move from there to come back to the Mitten State. Uh, you uh, joined the staff at Michigan State with the Lady Spartans under Susie Merchant, and uh, we'll get to that in just a couple minutes. But uh, let's let, we're going to turn back to Spring Arbor in 2019, about the time when you were looking at coming back to the Mitten State. Yes. Uh, the Cougars that wear that blue and gold made it to the NAIA National Championship, and they won the stinking thing. And yes. uh, I'm, I'm sure you had a Twitter or something up, or maybe even sent something. But how does it feel? I mean, as, as a Cougar faithful, you're part of a, a small brotherhood that put on that and sweat in that and, and bled in that maybe uh, uniform. Absolutely. You so, played for Bach. You better. You better. Absolutely. He wouldn't, he, he made sure the laundry had, had good stuff to take <laughs> that stuff out. But so, so I want you to think about what did it feel like to see those guys win a national championship. But what did it feel like for you as a former player? Your thoughts? Oh, it was wonderful. It was absolutely wonderful. It was exciting. It was thrilling. Um, you know, as the playoff run started, you know, you mm-hmm. you would, you know, and again, I, I'll be honest, you know, during that time, we're in the thick of our kind of right. final stretch too. It was during the time that they won it because typically, you know, um, the NAI finishes up a little sooner than Division One does. So we were in the latter part of the SEC season, and 
I started to get wind of this. And so now I'm following at every chance I can, I'm jumping on Facebook or, or Twitter to see where mm-hmm. things are going. And, you know, I, I got online several times in the office to see, you know, Hey, let me check the score away. When are they playing? I text yeah. Ryan a number of times too. And, and he's always so kind and gracious to, to hit me back with, you know, quick, quick rundown of things, but I'll never forget you know, knowing that they were headed to South Dakota mm-hmm. and playing, you know, when I heard that they, you know, had, had won an advance to the championship game. And I was so excited the night I went to, I was so excited to, to hear, you know, what the outcome was. Well, I, when I found out they'd won the thing and, and I actually called Ryan to congratulate, he was on his, he was on the bus going back actually at the time. And so we had a, and I know that feeling, just the euphoria and mm. the to see a group achieve something, to see a group climb a mountain and to be part of that journey with them is so special. Mm. And I, I could tell that that Ryan, there, there was joy and a little bit like Bach when he looked down that hallway and saw us. <laughs> but in this case, they ended up winning the, yeah. the championship. And so just to be on that, I'm sure that ride from South Dakota felt like 15 minutes. I, I can almost <laughs> yeah. promise you it felt like yeah. 15 minutes to those guys. But um, I'm responsible, Eric, uh, at the time I was responsible for the thought for the day. Um, Pat had me do this in year one, and I just kind of kept the job. Mm-hmm. So we started every practice with a thought for the day. We'd circle up. I'd have a thought for the day. Mm-hmm. Pat would add in or Holly at the time would add any emphasis, whatever. And then boom, we'd go to practice. So that more that day, that practice day, I, my thought for the day, I said, ladies, I normally have something a little more profound for you, but I just have one simple announcement to make. And it's an announcement and it's an announcement of fact and truth. My alma mater is yeah. the 2019 NAIA Division II National Champions, baby. And you better <laughs> all respect it. And they all, oh, Dean. Oh. I oh, said, now, cool. your job is to match that. I know this. My alma mater <laughs> got it done. So now what do you got for us? That's right. And so, you know, we had fun with that. But you, you can't help, Eric, but feel enormous pride. You right. feel you're, you're thrilled because you, having gone through that, I, I'm so happy for the players and the staff. But – as as a alumnus somebody who played like you said who's so invested in that program and loves Mm. the university loves the the place the school the program i was just so proud of them and so proud to be a part of that uh, you know be be an alumnus at that time and again they don't have to win a national championship for me to be proud of them or for those of us who love it but it was to see a group achieve something and to say in that time frame, 2019, they were the best. They were the best. They yeah. were the best. They were the best in the country. It's special. And I was so proud of them, so happy for them, and just thrilled. And I know those guys are going to take that with them the rest. That's a memory. That's mm-hmm. something that once you've been called a champion, they're going to call you a champion the rest of your that's life. Right. That Those players and those coaches are going to be called national champions for the rest of their life. And it's a beautiful thing. Absolutely. And those rings don't leave the finger. That's for sure. Uh, thanks coach again for sharing that again. Uh, you, you know, when, again, when you're part of that brotherhood, you're part of that brotherhood. It's, it's part of that. And so I appreciate you talking about that. Now, as we, we kind of end the podcast, we, we revert back to East Lansing here. And uh, of course, right now you guys are in the midst of getting prepared for, for a season last year, you guys were 15 and nine all, and then eight and seven in the big 10. 
And uh, you should kick off things in November 9th, which is not too far away against Moorhead State. So when you think about uh, these Lady Spartans this year, what are some of your thoughts, uh, your, your, your predictions, and uh, just your expectations for the season? Sure. Well, um, you know, I'm, I'm uh, the, the, longer, the longer you live and coach, you realize how little you actually know in some areas. And one thing, I'm terrible at predictions, absolutely terrible. <laughs> but I will tell and, and again, we all have our personalities. And right, right. I'm a very positive guy, very upbeat guy. There are two areas that I'm always, people, people that I've worked with and coached with have kidded me. They said, for such being such a positive guy, in, in sometimes you look at your own team and you see the, the warts and the flaws. And then mm-hmm. in recruiting, you think, gosh, who can we get? Can we get a good player? Can we get a good player? <laughs> you know, and somehow those things still work out. But no, in all seriousness, I would tell you this. We've got some good parts. We've got a good returning crew coming back from a good year. We got better. Our last three to four weeks, Eric, we were a much better basketball team than mm-hmm. we were. And, of course, that's what you try to do. That's what you want to do. You know, obviously, you want to play to, to play your best basketball at the end. But we significantly grew up. I call it competitive maturity. We, If we started the season as sixth or seventh graders, we became 10th or 11th graders by the end of the season. So we, we did grow up a little bit competitively. We've got some good parts here. The question for us now is, can we put it together? Mm-hmm. Are we going to show enough tenacity and toughness? And you have to have a little luck too. You have to be, be durable and, you know, not have any, you know, serious injuries and whatnot. But Eric, I really believe this can be a good, a very good basketball team. Mm. Our league, the big 10 has gotten so good in recent years. I will tell you this. We had last year, we had four teams in the sweet 16. Yeah. There's not another conference in the country that can lay claim to that. It, the, the women's basketball in the Big Ten has gotten very, very strong. One of the premier conferences. Now, we take a back seat to know when I was at Tennessee, the Big Ten, quite honestly, there were maybe a team or two posed a threat. Right. Now there's four or five teams that are a legitimate threat to be Final Four type teams. I right. mean, it's a very mm-hmm. good league. So that being said, our league is good, and that's it's going to make us better. It will. It, it's going to be a. Uh, I mean, every game is going to be just a battle in this conference. So I mean, we beat each other up through the course of 18 games, and that's always a challenge. But <laughs> yeah. to our team, I would tell you, we've got parts. We've got a, a first team preseason All Big Ten selection and Nia Cloudon coming back. We've got some good parts around her that you know we've got a good combination of veterans and and rookies that I think all of whom can help us in some way. Mm. So we're excited. We're cautiously optimistic. I won't really know more to give you an intelligent answer till I see us on the practice floor for a week or two, but I do think we can take a step forward this year. And, and once again, I really believe this is an NCAA tournament team. This is a team that, that can be an improved team from a year ago, how that is and what that looks like. I don't yet know. Well, again, coach, I appreciate you at least giving some thoughts on that and, and uh, yeah, cautious, optimism is always a way to go as you have a lot of factors that that you just don't know about when it comes to injuries when it comes to players being able to adjust and make adjustments and move into to various aspects of new offenses and new schemes those are all uh pieces that you have to be aware of and so coach you know, as we, as we end our podcast, again, want to thank you so much for giving up your time. Again, we've been talking to Dean Lockwood, who's associate head coach at Michigan State University and also a Cougar forever. That's yes. right. 
Yes. And as he wore the navy or the gold and blue, we'll say that correctly, uh, uh, under Bill Bakowitz and was an NCCAA national champion. Again, um, on behalf of Coach Dean Lockwood, I'm Eric Rowe, as you've been listening to Cougar Talk, the official, unofficial voice of Cougar Athletics and more. Thanks for listening to Cougar Talk. Subscribe to the podcast on Google Podcast, Stitcher, or Podbean. Also, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Cougar Talk SA. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of Cougar Talk the podcast and do not necessarily reflect those of Spring Arbor University or SAU Cougar Athletics.